power on. I think we need to wrap this up, but one theme that we want to ask everybody here, Mm -hmm. uh, and one speaker at great length, is privacy. Uh There seems to be this... Sorry, Mark. Sorry, I don't know if Mark's here, here. but... (laughs) Um, Hey, Mark. (laughs) So, um, there seems to be, to have been a spate of mistakes or, you know, false starts or things that have to do with privacy where companies have had to retreat, whether it's things with Facebook, things with Google Buzz. uh, uh, Or Google's uh, Wi-Fi collection recently. Yeah, that Wi-Fi collection, inadvertent, yeah. Um, (laughs) Talk to me about that. How, how, How is privacy looked at differently in the in silicon valley than in the rest of america no silicon valley's not monolithic uh we've always had a very different view of privacy than some of our colleagues in the valley we take privacy extremely seriously as an example we worry a lot about location in phones and we worry that some you know, 14-year-old is going to get stalked and something terrible is going to happen because of our phone. And so, as an example, before any app can get location data, we don't make it a rule that they have to put up a panel and ask because they might not follow that rule. They call our location services and we put up the panel saying, this app wants to use your location data. Is that okay with you? every time they want to use it. And we do a lot of things like that to, to, to ensure that people understand what these apps are doing. That's one of the reasons we have the curated app store. We have rejected a lot of apps that want to take a lot of your personal data and suck it up into the cloud. A lot. So... We're really old, a lot of people in the Valley think we're really old-fashioned about this. Uh, And maybe we are, but we worry about stuff like this. But aren't you also going to be moving more into cloud-based things? Are we going to be moving more into cloud-based things? Sure. But but doesn't that inevitably get you? No. Privacy means people know what they're signing up for in plain English and repeatedly. That's what it means. I'm an optimist. I believe people are smart. And some people want to share more data than other people do. Ask them. Ask them every time. Make them tell you to stop asking them if they get tired of your asking them. Let them know precisely what you're going to do with their data. Okay. That's, That's what we think. Thank you. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars, and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech.
I get to say, baby, I told you so. Somebody cue that music. Glorious. Right? Something like that. (laughs) Oh, baby. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R, radio star, ready to bring it all on once again this week for Sovereign Tech. And like I said, some weeks I get to say, I told you so. And this is an I told you so years in the making. Okay, years ago, I told you, and we'll open right up, uh, well, actually, yeah, we'll open right up with the story, but then there's a little something I want to tell you about that came out that you probably heard about if you were in the Sovereign Tech feed. So there's there's some little bit of shop talk I want to get into, but let's open it up with a little bit of news for our foreplay quick, and the I told you so is that the merger, okay, and this actually happened, boy, about a month ago, I just haven't had the chance to talk about it yet, uh, but the merger between AT&T and Time Warner has been completed it is official they are one company or you know i mean all that's in play there's nothing in their way including the u.s government you know the what is it president trump tried to sue and uh, well that that got shot down by a district court judge blah 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 85 billion dollars later at&t and time warner are one company now i'll tell you if you read uh the most recent sovereign tech newsletter i believe it was the july issue of the Sovereign Tech newsletter. And if you don't get the Sovereign Tech newsletter, you go to zog.email and you get your hookup. You can't miss where to sign up for it. You cannot miss it. It's at the top of the page, front and center. Okay, zog.email. Get the Sovereign Tech newsletter. In last month's issue, in July's issue, uh, I talked about well, I, you know, I, I made the case and everything, and I showed pictures that were, I think, by The Intercept, that The Intercept took, of a lot of different buildings, some of which are owned by AT&T, that are actually secret NSA spy centers. Um, not a new idea, or not a new thing at all. In fact, I talk about it in the newsletter, how these have been around since uh, the early aughts. And we, we knew about them, like actual hotel rooms even set up with AT&T equipment uh, that were spying on on cell phone uh, data and, you know, calls and all that other stuff. OK, not anything new, but let's just be clear here that AT&T is, as I've said on Sovereign Tech for years, AT&T, you can put that up with all the other alphabet soup organizations, right? The FBI, CIA, NSA, you take your pick of whatever alphabet soup, you know, get it, the letters. AT&T is one of those organizations, has been for a long time. Um, for years, we've covered every time a new story would come out, be it from the Snowden revelations or something else, where it showed that AT&T has an absolute revolving door for the U.S. government, and they will let them, I mean, you can, they, the government can just run roughshod on this company. Uh, and they, you know, they're really, they're kissing cousins, Okay, it might as well be a government organization. And now that government organization owns Time Warner. Yes, that should freak you the fuck out. But there it is. Uh, And I know a lot of people thought that they could do something about it. And this is what I called. I said, no, no, no. 
you know, I mean, you can, you know, whatever, if it makes you feel good inside that you're doing some kind of like activism against this, uh, you know, against this merger, you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. I don't care how many, uh, you know, pencils you're pushing. You are not going to stop this merger from happening. It's going to go down. And it went down. So here it is. <laughs> I mean, it took, you know, a little over a couple of years, I guess. Um, but it is it is here. And wow, uh, is AT&T. You know, you know, it's funny. So I'm going to give you a little bit of analysis. I think a lot of times. So first off, I think that in a a free market, a genuine free market situation, not a mixed economy situation like we have in the colonies here. I'm sorry, the the United States um, in a in a genuine free market situation. Okay, I don't think that monopolies could exist like just smaller companies would wipe the floor with any monopoly that that tries to, to come into fruition. I know not everybody, not every economist or whatever they want to call themselves that read their magic numbers, uh, you know, th- would agree with me on that. Uh, or maybe philosophers. I don't know <laughs> whatever business they have thinking about that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, I, I think that uh, they, they would disagree with me that monopolies. Oh, no, no, no. That would happen. You know, like aluminum foil companies and or company and all this other horseshit, uh, you know, Peter Thiel and, and some other asshats, uh, you know, would make that kind of claim. Okay. Uh, I don't think so. But regardless of that, all right, it, what I think often happens when monopolies occur, because really only monopolies can occur because of a regulatory environment that they can thrive, that a company can thrive within to where they can, they can get that kind of control and they can do lobbying and all this other horseshit with the government, right? Okay, so AT&T, you know, used to be good old Ma Bell, right? I mean, this used to be one of the biggest companies in the world, and they really had a, a very real stranglehold on, you know, this is before cell phones, but they had a real stranglehold on, you know, the telephone uh, uh, infrastructure in the United States, okay? Uh, th- I mean, th- this is very, very real. Now, some people bring up arguments that and I've heard these and there's some interesting points to bring up about that that when AT&T was a monopoly they were actually forwarding because the, the one of the concerns about having a monopoly is that it keeps innovation from happening because there's no competition that's not necessarily true and I'm going to I'm going to concede that okay I think monopolies would get beaten out because when there really is no comp or when when you really are allowed to not necessarily competition but when you are allowed to develop independently of you know some some you know, guys in suits and everything, uh, you know, in some tall building. Okay. You get to come up with the really innovative shit, but not to say that monopolies like AT&T, Ma Bell was really inventing the future um, for decades when it really had that stranglehold and the amount of money that they could toss into R and D that didn't have to actually turn a profit was pretty remarkable. So I'm going to, I'm going to concede that I'm going to admit to that, but I think the whole reason really that, uh, you know, that AT&T originally got broken up, uh, as companies, again, this was decades ago. I think anytime the government goes after a company for, you know, for monopoly practices, okay. And goes after them with antitrust legislation, is I think that they are afraid the U S government is afraid that that company is getting bigger than, and more powerful, most importantly than the government itself. Okay. I think that's exactly what, what happens there. I think it happened with Microsoft. I think there may be other cases where this happened. I think, I think, and I've told that story before about Microsoft, what I think really happened there on sovereign tech. Okay. But I, I think that that goes down now. It's interesting that now AT&T, I mean, arguably AT&T could get bigger than it ever was and could have, you know, more uh, more tentacles, shall we say, uh, you know, maybe going up people's butts or something like that in the United States than ever before. 
but somehow it's all getting through. And that's where I don't feel like, well, then, Brian, aren't you saying that corporations are ultimately they, they pay fealty to the government, blah, blah, blah. No, again, this is, as I say every week, this is corporatism we're living under. It is a alliance between governments and corporations. And honestly, I think it's all fucking lip service if anybody's trying to put a stop to AT&T. Because now, if AT&T has that real stranglehold, now, I mean, they have the threat of the government breaking them up. Okay, but... AT&T can really, you know, I mean, this is one massive metadata collection that they can do. And we're going to talk later about, you know, some companies may not want to play ball. In fact, you just heard uh, that the, the opening audio of Steve Jobs. Okay, uh, I mean, when he was still alive and that was pretty close, that audio, it's from one of the D conferences is one of the later ones just before his death, uh, one of his really final public appearances. Um, but where he's talking about, you know, the importance of privacy and where you need to set all this stuff up, you know, within the phone and, and we need to care about it. And maybe that that's old fashioned. Well, AT&T is not old fashioned. OK, again, they have a revolving door for the government. They don't give a rat's fucking ass about privacy and they will turn over all of that data in any given moment. And the government must love having that kind of relationship with AT&T. So AT&T, you can buy all the companies you want because we have that revolving door with you. We love for you to be a monopoly now as to where before maybe as a monopoly. They were actually trying to, you know, in ways they they could work against the government. Now, oh, no, 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 no. Now they're playing ball with the government. So now they can get as big as they fucking want. So I think anytime you're hearing this, this like antitrust lips or I mean, that, that's just that's horseshit. That's pure horseshit. I don't know. You're like maybe Trump was uh, President Trump was like trying to appease, I don't know, small business owners or something because they're always terrified of monopolies. And I understand why. And I'm not saying it's unfair of them. OK, but regardless of that, uh, no, the government loves that this is happening. I mean, just absolutely loves it. This cuts through so much bullshit red tape, uh, red tape that, again, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. But there it is. I was right. This merger happened. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, oh, no, no, the lawyers are going to get in there. Oh, no, no, the small businessman. Oh, you know, these people are going to they're going to keep it from happening. Yeah, fucking right because this is all a part of the plan baby okay not that there's some new world order or something but some group has a plan of some kind to compete against another group and here it is so anyway um all right i want to talk about before before we get into any other stories um i do want to bring up that oh i had a new book come out this uh this week and i'm really 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 excited about this um this new book is, you know, I just mentioned the Sovereign Tech newsletter, the importance of reading that. Now, in the Sovereign Tech newsletter, uh, and we're going to get into other news stories, don't worry. In the Sovereign Tech newsletter, there are, uh, there, at the end of it, I put erotic short fiction, okay? And I make it very explicit, you know, that this is erotic. There's a big warning sticker that appears in the newsletter, you know. If you are worried about going where angels fear to tread, do not read on in the newsletter, even though everything above it is fairly safe to read as, as far as if, if you're you know concerned about erotic content. Um, I know I have a very broad demographic, some of which are maybe more religious and a little more on the conservative side. Uh, so, you know, if you don't want to see that, well, you don't have to. But regardless of that, um, they anyway, there is that short fiction in there. And. I have in this book, The Sovereign Universe, Volume 1, which you can find. There's a link in the show notes for it. Okay, you can find it at my website, zog.email, uh, you know, zog.email. You can also just go to Amazon, and right now it's only available as an ebook. Right now it is going to be an audiobook, and it's also going to be in paperback. But right now it is just an ebook. Um, you can go to Amazon, type in Sovereign Universe, just like my name, S-O-V-R-Y-N, okay, Sovereign Universe, and you will find it. It's only $2.99. Um, but this is... So the book, uh, it, it's 
compiles all of that short fiction that I've done for the Sovereign Universe, what what I used to call Small Tales. I'm probably going to change the name of that, but what I used to call Small Tales from the Sovereign Universe um, in the newsletter. Uh, it compiles all of those, but all of, I want to tell you more about that. But there's also two original stories in it. OK, two completely original stories that will only ever be available in this book unless I come out with big, some big box set. But they'll only ever be available to buy. I'm not going to put them on a Patreon. I'm not going to put them put these two stories. And one of them is one of the longest stories I've ever written. I mean, these are not you know, this chalks up to about 120 pages uh, total. So for two ninety nine, I mean, I think you're getting a pretty good deal there. Um but anyway, uh, yeah, there's there's a longer story. You might have heard my interview. We just did a new show that Stephanie's going to start or, you know, is looking into doing, which is kind of an interview show called The Boss's Office. Um, or really, it could be where she could talk about whatever the hell she wants. But anyway, if you saw that in the main Sovereign Tech feed, that's not just a Patreon perk, even though I, I shared it in the Patreon uh, Sovereign Tech Patreon feed as well. But anyway, uh, you know, I talked about this quite a bit in that as well. So if you want to hear that, that is in your main Sovereign Tech feed. Um, the... So the this book, uh, yeah, has those two extra stories. Again, one of them is really lengthy uh, and, again, will only be available there. And, and I know just everybody, everybody that I've heard from so far just loves this book. But also understand, so there's also a foreword in it by Dr. Stephanie Murphy herself, by the boss, by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Uh, that's there. That is all original. I do an all-original introduction. And the entire book itself has actually been edited um, and expanded. Uh, as well by the one and only Ellen Stallone, uh, so Sovereign Tech co-host. So that that is really, I mean, this is this is something all new. Even if you've read these stories before, there's all new stuff in there, and it is hot as hell, baby. I, I mean, I got to tell you. <laughs> I've had to reread it a few times myself, if you know what I mean. And I've heard that from a few others. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, so it is a good time. Uh, again, you can find the link in the show notes or you can go to my main website, zog.email, or you can just go to Amazon and type in Sovereign Universe uh, and it'll come up. Volume one's the only thing available right now uh, that's there. Part of the reason that I did this, I'm gonna, I want to talk about this quickly and then I, I have one other bit of shop talk and then we'll get into some more stories. Part of the reason that I did this was because... I have had issues with the Dark Android book getting published by Amazon. And so I wanted to see, okay, what, you know, what boxes do I need to check and everything? Because I've only ever published one other book before. And that was the original uh, 2017 version of the Dark Android book, okay, which is all about reclaiming your privacy, blah, blah, blah. Go to darkandroid.info if you want to get your hands on that. But, um, you know, I wanted to see what it would take, you know, to, to, to have a smooth launch of a book. Uh, and this went pretty smoothly. Uh, I was, I was very pleased and I'm going to test out the paperback. And then once I know that all of that can work just fine, then I'll be very confident and I will talk more about releasing because I actually have to send copies out to some people who are at my dark Android class at pork fest this year. Um, then I will release, I'm actually calling, I talked about this with uh, sovereign tech patrons in a Q and a, um, a Q&A episode where it's going to be the 2019 edition. I'm going to call it Dark Android, the 2019 edition. And then, you know, somewhere within 2019, I'll release the 2020 edition. And I have other books planned as well. Um, I mean, there's a lot of books planned, but, you know, I don't want to say when or what those are going to be coming out because I've learned my lesson. You really don't want to announce shit unless you're really 100 percent. I mean, 100 fucking percent certain that it's going to be coming out. Um, so anyway, yeah, go grab uh, Sovereign Universe Volume 1. Now, something else I want to tell you about. OK, you might notice today when this comes out, if you're getting this on release day, which is Saturday. Uh, in fact, it'd be Saturday, August. Holy hell. How are we in August 12,018 already? Uh, Saturday, the 18th. 
You might notice that another episode of Sovereign Tech, it would actually be, I guess it'd be episode 290 or 290. Yeah, I think that'd be episode 290. That actually had the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on with me. Um, episode 290 what, did not end up in the main Sovereign Tech feed. So if you are listening to this, if you downloaded this from the Prime Sovereign Tech feed, not the Patreon feed, the Patreon uh, patrons got it. But in the Prime feed, so when I to, to release that book to to do the Sovereign Universe Volume One, I wanted to make available all of the um, audio theater, the fictional Sovereign Tech audio theater, which, by the way, if you don't know, the Sovereign Universe is like if you've been listening for a little while, you might have heard these uh, intros for for each segment, like HackSec will have an intro where there's some kind of like adventure going on and everything. Okay, those are the fictional aspects of the Sovereign Universe, which includes fictional episodes that come out usually once a year, maybe more, or sometimes they have to get bumped into the following year. Uh, I put together like the six-hour compilation of all of them okay and it's beautiful but it broke the soundcloud feed okay <laughs> so so it made it it made it very like i couldn't the neck because i released it on saturday like or it was friday night but it ended up being like pretty much saturday at 1 a.m okay last week and then the episode uh, the episode wouldn't go into the feed for some reason so today when this is getting done on august 18th there will be a release um or, you know, like that episode's going to get re-released, so that way it's actually in the feed. I guess SoundCloud has some limit on how many hours you can release in a week, which I didn't think I broke. I knew there was a size limitation, but I, uh, but I, but hey, whatever, I don't know. So anyway, uh, yeah, so that episode will be in, the, will be there. So it looks like you might, you might have missed last week's episode, and it was a phenomenal one with uh, the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I. Uh, just a really, really great time. So if you see two episodes on the 18th, that's why. But, you know, speaking of the 18th, you know, Sovereign Tech has its own calendar, by the way, um, where we celebrate, we have our, our holy days, as it were. And got to tell you, the 18th, baby, this is one of those days. This is one of those holy days. Um, wish you were here on this episode. But, uh, yes, it is Ellen Stallone Day on the Sovereign Tech calendar because it is her birthday. And happy birthday, Ellen. Woo! <laughs> I think this, I, if you knew the great work she does for the newsletter, for the show in general, I mean, oh, it's just it's phenomenal. So uh, totally deserving of her own holiday. Uh, of course, you know, we have Stephanie Murphy Day. We have uh, we have MK Lords Day. We have all kinds of days, all kinds of calendar days uh, on, on the Sovereign Tech calendar. And of course, we use the Holocene calendar. So it actually be. It'd be August 18th, 12,018, right? Because with the Holocene calendar, you add in 10,000 years. I love that. Got my Holocene calendar, or human era. Some people call it the human era. I've got that right behind me. Woo! Anyway, okay. So, yes, happy birthday to Ellen, and, and everybody feel free to wish her one. Um, all right. So, let's... Uh, Let's get into some more stories here because we've we've got plenty to get into this week. Some some really really great stuff. Uh, you know we get to talk a little hardware. I, I always love when I get to talk hardware. It seems to be not a dead thing, but it, it's it's a fairly boring thing. I mean, you're not going to talk about the you know the phones coming out. Well, we had a big long conversation about that on a recent Sovereign Tech episode. But uh, but anyway, so uh, AMD. This is pretty wild. Now, we talked about a few months ago when Intel announced their i9 processors, which is kind of their first new processor class on the consumer level in quite some time. Everything's been i3s, i5s, i7s, and atoms and whatnot. Uh, so the i9 was a bit of a, was, it was a huge deal, um, which the i9, kind of the main selling point, even though there's, there's different models of it, of course, as there always is with uh, Intel processor classes, um, it's 
big hitter is this 18 core. It's the i9 7980XE. Okay, 18 fucking cores. Woo! <laughs> and running at some pretty crazy speeds um, at that. So, um, interestingly, a couple weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, it was a couple weeks ago. And I think by now they might actually be available uh, in, in some form or fashion, but or, you know, in, in certain outlets. But AMD is coming out with their second generation um, Ryzen processors. OK, and their most most popular within the Ryzen series, of course, is the Threadripper, which is that gigantic fucking processor that everybody was like, you know, the size of, you know, the average person's palm or it looked like it anyway. I mean, the thing was just fucking huge. Well, they have the Threadripper, the Ryzen AMD Ryzen Threadripper 2990WX, 32 cores. <laughs> I'll see your 18 and I'll raise you, you know, that many more. I mean, 32 fucking cores. That is incredible, uh, you know, to consider that. And supposedly that makes it overall with that and the various clock speeds. We're looking at a 53 percent faster processor than the uh, the i9 flagship from uh, from Intel. And uh, I, <laughs> I mean, this is the shit, you know, 10 years ago. That we used to just dream about, you know, because 10 years ago, dual cores were really just becoming a thing, right? The Athlon 64 was a, was a fairly new chip back in 2008 and, or, you know, fairly new processor. And I remember just saying, it's like, oh, man, can you imagine like lining up like six of these, <laughs> you know, or something? <sighs> 32 cores from AMD. I mean, that that blows my fucking mind. Uh, really excited about this. The average price of uh, the the, two, the 2990WX, by the way, it's actually cheaper than the flagship i9 uh, by a couple hundred bucks. I think the, the flagship i9 is with 18 cores runs about around two grand and the 2990WX, the 32 core from, from AMD is actually only going for like 1800. Uh, so, uh, man, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're base clocking these. Let's be clear here. So they're base clocking them at like 3.5, but they can boost above four gigahertz. You know, all of these processors processors can do that now, which I'm glad to hear because there was, you know, also 10 years ago, Intel made like a company wide statement saying, and they use the word never. This is what's important to say. They said they will never make a processor that goes faster than four gigahertz. They said never. Well, obviously, that's not true anymore. Uh, but regardless, and, and I figured as much that it wouldn't be true eventually. Uh, and, you know, is it because of the competition between AMD and Intel? Maybe. But even AMD and Intel, right, they're playing ball with each other often now. Uh, you have their, what is it, the Hades Canyon uh, Nux that, that use a, a very, very streamlined um, AMD graphics, uh, uh, you know, GPU. So... Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I feel about all that, but regardless, this this new Threadripper uh, looks absolutely phenomenal. Now, I will say, and we'll probably talk, we're going to talk processors a little bit more during HackSec, I believe, uh, because, you know, I, I would feel comfortable maybe buying the second generation Threadripper, even though I haven't seen anything about security, you know, and how it how it applies to, uh, I guess, particularly Meltdown, because Spectre is only Intel chips as to where Meltdown affects ARM uh, and AMD. So I haven't heard anything on security. I would assume, though, that they've tried to fix that. But we're going to talk processors a little more later. Interestingly, though, I mean, there is something to talk about as far as processors and you know how boring it would be if everybody just relied on their smartphones and they never got to take advantage of this kind of just pure raw balls that you could throw into well maybe some laptops could handle it uh but you know throw into a desktop or something oh man i want one of these babies but we're going to talk about 
whether I mean, I like I said, I would feel confident buying a Threadripper right now. Uh, I don't know how I'd feel about buying an Intel chip right this second. We'll talk more about that later. Um, let's get into another bit of uh, story here. And well, I mean, th- we got that from from AMD, which is just fucking amazing. 32 core processor. But let's talk about what Intel's doing. They have come out. They have a new uh, solid state drive that's called the DCP 4500. And this thing has 32 terabytes now. 32 terabytes, I, I personally, I think that's fucking impressive. Maybe you won't find that impressive. But what's really impressive is that it's 32 terabytes in a package the size of your regular ruler, like your regular you know, 12-inch ruler. It'd be more impressive if it was a 6-inch ruler, but your regular 12-inch ruler. And it, it's that thin, too. Um, it's pretty amazing what they have been able to compress into something that size. Now, this isn't something for the consumer market. It's not really for gamers or anything like that. I mean, it's a fairly fast processor. Its main purpose is for servers. Uh, it's it's to be put into servers. That way, you don't have to spend so much money on cooling with servers because you have this really, and that's part of the reason for this 32 terabyte drives shape. I mean, you can buy one. Um, I think they cost, you know, I think they cost around five grand or something like that. But Bottom line being is that this is clearly meant for airflow and for, you know, cooling concerns and everything else that way. I mean, because that takes up a lot of the electricity and really horsepower, especially of a power supply at a server farm is it's all about cooling, you know. And so if you can have a drive that doesn't require because the drive is what's going, 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 that doesn't require that much cooling. um, I mean, this is a necessity. But it's pretty amazing to see 32 terabytes in something that you can actually buy today in something that small. I mean, we could get into, you know, not it's not theoretical, but we can get into the, the areas of like, well, you know, you could put 700 terabytes in a strand of DNA and all that. Sure. But that's not something on the consumer market. This is uh, pretty incredible stuff. And, you know, as much as I don't trust solid state memory, yeah, I, I would consider running a NAS with this thing in it. Or, you know, maybe I'd want to, I don't know, I maybe I'd throw it into something desktop class. And I mean, it's, it's the size of a ruler. It could fit into a desktop case pretty easily. Um, and maybe I would want to th- throw some fancy new OS on it. Maybe like the new version of React OS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this in previous weeks, but they uh, they recently announced version 4.0. Sorry, not version 4.9. Version 0.4. React OS is still very much in beta. Um, I have, so, okay, people have two opinions on this. What React OS is, is an open source operating system designed to run Win32 executables and, you know, libraries and everything, okay, to run DLLs and all that without it being actually Windows. Now, it's being developed in Russia, and a few years ago, I mean, this this has been in development probably also almost for 10 years, or at least it's been in talks for a while. About five years ago, I think it was, um, was Medvedev president at the time? in the Russian Federation. Anyway, there's, you know, famous pictures of him looking at the development and everything. And everybody's like, oh, React OS is going to be loaded with, uh, you know, Russian spyware and blah, 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 blah. Uh, No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But first off, it's open source. Again, that doesn't mean that it's inherently secure. It means that you can see if that's true. Regardless of that, um, I think that this is such an important thing, especially since, I think React OS is going to become more important than we ever realized, not because we wanted open source that could run Windows binaries, okay, but because, you know, Microsoft seems to be trying to get away 
in in a very real sense. I mean, and maybe the, their emulation will get a little more perfected than it has been because it's not living up to their claims so far as far as like Windows on ARM and so, Windows 10 on ARM and so on. Windows 10 is kind of moving away from the whole Win32 infrastructure, right? So if, but you know, there's lots of apps. I mean, I know there's apps that I've been running for 15, 20 years that I still run to this day that fuck you if you're going to take away, you know, my DLLs, right? <laughs> or, you know, fuck you if you're going to try and take away my XEs. So you, we want an operating system that can do that. And when you consider also that like Valve, Valve now is trying to create an emulator for Windows games that will run in Linux. Uh, and this isn't Steam. I mean, it's part of Steam OS that, you know, came out years ago and really hasn't done anything. But they, I think they are seeing more of the writing on the wall and a lot of companies are. So something like React OS is really necessary. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be hampered by the fact that it is developed in Russia and right now in the current political and cultural climate, um, at least in the United States, I don't think that'll be accepted. I think that's a goddamn shame. Uh, I don't think most people don't realize some of the software they use is actually, quote unquote, Russian in origin, not Russian government, Russian people. And I think if they, you know, if they knew they'd be like, oh, well, I guess not everything from Russia is bad. But whatever, you know, I, I mean, people just, oh, no, the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. I, I, I so fucking can't believe that that is a phrase again you know i really thought we got past this 20 years ago and nope you you can it's so funny you can just you can trick americans again you can make them afraid of fucking anything it's it's unbelievable you're talking about these people that are constantly saying oh we're the best oh yeah democracy yeah we stand for this blah 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 but boy you can you can make them afraid of fucking anything and their fear just you know turns on at the drop of a hat Unbelievable. So anyway, okay. well, speaking of uh, maybe Americans that aren't so fearful, um, this was a bit of an interesting story and will lead into something we're going to talk about later in the show during the wildcard segment. And that is uh, on Twitter, a astronaut, former NASA astronaut, uh, Leland, um, sorry, Leland Melvin. He claimed to, well, actually, I got a headline here. There's a link in the show notes if you want to read or hear more about it. Uh, and it's from uh, Fox News. Sorry. Uh, astronaut claims he witnessed an organic alien-like creature, but NASA is denying it. So he said it on Twitter, um, you know, all, all about what, what exactly the claim was. He says, uh, I have not seen one in space. Or Someone asked him, like, have you seen anything alien-like on Twitter? And he responded with, I have not seen one in space or on the ground, but thought I saw something organic-slash-alien-like floating out of the payload bay. Uh, and, and then he goes on, he says, and I called the ground, that's, of course, NASA, uh, to ask what it could be, and it was ice that had broken off of the Freon hoses, a translucent, translucent curved, organic-looking. And then he put, like, a little alien emoji um, at the end of it. So, and he goes on to say, I was about to say, Houston, we have a problem, but no, everyone spins up when those words are uttered from a space vehicle, Godspeed. So, NASA's saying, look, yeah, it was ice. Leland Melvin is saying, hey, you know, maybe there was something out there. I don't know what the hell it was. Um, you got to understand something, folks, okay? A lot of times, now, I mean, there are, you know, you had who, Edgar Mitchell, who was like the sixth man to ever walk on the moon. Um, he claims that aliens, or hell, he had a whole theory that claimed, speaking of the Russians, that aliens came to Earth and stopped a nuclear war between Russia or, you know, between the, the Soviet Union and the United States. Um, that's Edgar Mitchell's claim. And look, Edgar Mitchell, I'm not going to take anything away from him. Obviously, you know, brave as ass human being and, and not an unintelligent one either. But that's kind of his claim, sort of a, a day the earth stood still kind of scenario. OK, uh, 
And, you know, where to bl- sometimes I wonder if these guys are just pulling everybody's leg because I might pull that kind of joke. If I actually went to space, I, I mean, I don't know that I'd want to lie, but I would I would pull some stunts on people. I think it's like, oh, I saw that. Oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. But of course, you know, the classic sovereign tech stance here is that, look, folks, there are no aliens that have been to Earth. OK, all the UFOs. No, no, no. They're not UFOs. Probably just government, you know x-planes and whatever else um aliens have not been here so i think leland melvin was just having some fun with people we'll be right back hey look got an energy spike hold on launch no! bombing the narn back to the stone age wasn't enough for you then we heard it the sound of something terrible being born this is madness station three to commander ivanova centauri have launched a full-scale assault time has come and gone it's our turn now Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall, where dreams are born and die, where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Story of the Week. It is time for Story of the Week, where we cover one big hot story, baby. And like I said, wait for Wildcard, because we're going to talk about, is humanity going to start an interstellar war? Oh, boy. There was a Forbes piece that, well, as usual, or not as usual, but as, as often happens, the media's full of shit, and so is Forbes. But, but anyway, uh, we have something else that is really a bunch of shit, a steaming pile of fucking shit, but... Ah, uh, well, anyway, this is from Reuters. We need to get into it. We need to talk about it. This actually got sent in to me by a Sovereign Tech listener. I really appreciate that, uh, you know, because sometimes I don't see all the stories that are going on out there, even though one of the benefits of doing a tech show is that because I'm a tech enthusiast and a tech journalist, I am actually looking it at and reading tech stories all the time. Um, so, but anyway, this is from Reuters, and, and I appreciate it. If you want to send in stories, you can do that. I might not get to them, but uh, just go to, you can go to contact.zog.ninja. Okay, that's contact.zog.ninja, and that will take you right to a form where you can send things in anonymously. I don't even need your email address. Of course, my email is bbs at sovereigntech.com. If you do want to email me with something, you can do that too. But uh, anyway, okay, let's, let's get into this from Reuters because, oh, fucking A. <laughs> Here it is, exclusive, and uh, this story is from um, August 17th, so just yesterday, August 17th, 2018. Uh, U.S. government seeks Facebook help to wiretap messenger, say sources. Uh, And this is by Dan Levine, reading on. 
the U.S. government is trying to force Facebook, uh, Facebook to break the encryption in its popular messenger app so law enforcement may listen to suspects' voice conversations in a criminal probe, three people briefed on the case said, resurrecting the issue uh, of whether companies can be compelled to alter their products to enable surveillance. Okay, now that's kind of a key point, and, and we're going to get into it. Uh, the previously unreported case in a, in a federal court in California is proceeding under seal, so no filings are are publicly available, but the three people told Reuters that Facebook is contesting the U.S. Department's, Department of Justice's demand. The judge in the Messenger case heard arguments on Tuesday on a government motion to hold Facebook in contempt of court for refusing to carry out the surveillance request, according to the sources who spoke on condition of anonymity. Facebook and the DOJ declined to comment. The Messenger issue arose in Fresno, California, as part of an investigation of the MS-13 gang, one of the, one of the people said. U.S. President Donald Trump frequently uses the gang, which is active in the United States and Central America, as a symbol of lax U.S. immigration policy and a reason to attack so-called quote-unquote sanctuary laws, preventing police from detaining people solely to enforce immigration law. Oh, right, because, of course, you know, there's a few bad uh, few bad actors out there, so let's make everybody pay who, you know, for it, and let's, let's, oh, never mind, I won't get into immigration here on you. Trump called members of the gang animals this year when the sheriff of Fresno County complained that California laws limited her cooperation with federal immigration enforcement targeting gang members. The potential impact of the judge's coming ruling is unclear. If the government prevails in the Facebook Messenger case, it could make similar arguments to force companies to rewrite other popular encrypted services, such as Signal and Facebook's billion-user WhatsApp, which could include both voice and text functions, some legal experts said. Law enforcement agencies forcing technology providers to rewrite software to capture and hand over data that is no longer encrypted would have major implications for the companies which see themselves as defenders of individual privacy while under pressure from police and lawmakers. Now, Stanley, breaking in for a second, you can understand perhaps the importance of the words from Steve Jobs at the beginning of this episode saying, oh, no, we got to take privacy very seriously and we can't let anybody come in now. Apple, under Tim Cook, not under Steve Jobs, was, let's be clear on this, was willing to, in the San Bernardino case in California, was willing to play ball with the government if the government hadn't flubbed the encryption scheme on the San Bernardino shooter's uh, iPhone. Okay, it's not, I mean, they made it seem like, oh yeah, we're taking on the FBI, we're caring about your privacy, we've got to stand up for this. No, no, sorry, they were, they were able to kind of like do that as a PR move. I don't know how things would have been under Steve Jobs, but I don't know that they would have been any different than they are under Tim Cook as far as respecting privacy. Okay, Um, no, that was all pomp and circumstance. Okay, Apple would have worked with the government on, you know, breaking encryption. Uh, So now this case, supposedly Facebook is saying, which is very hard to believe, but I might be able to explain why Facebook is saying to the government, "Um, no, we're not going to recode our fucking apps. Okay, or in this case, the messenger app, just so you can spy on a few people. Okay, now, is that the right stance for a company to take? Absolutely. All right. Are they really taking that? I don't think so. And and here's the thing is that I've talked about many times. Now, maybe this has been derailed because of the constant ever since really Cambridge Analytica, because of the, the constant hammering by the media and the government against Facebook as late. 
I've been I've felt over the few months that what that's all about is just it's a huge smear campaign to keep Mark Zuckerberg from running for political office, be a president, senator, whatever the hell he would end up running for in 2020, which I think an excellent case could be made that he was planning on that. If he's not still, he was at least planning on taking political office. Now, that should terrify the fuck out of anybody, because here's the thing. In fact, this proves the point why it's so scary for Zuckerberg to become president or have any kind of political office is that. Okay, so the government in this case with this Fresno, you know, whatever MS-13 gang or whatever the hell it is, uh, you know, going after them. There is a barrier between government and company that keeps the government supposedly from just, you know, getting access to all this data or from telling a company to rewrite their code so that they have a backdoor into encryption so that they can, uh, you know, they can spy on whoever the hell they feel like they need to spy on. Now, if Zuckerberg becomes president, he's still and could still be effectively CEO or have a controlling hand at the very least. And this was all this is all part of the evidence of why he was running for political office. The way that he did um, recent uh, shares and stock options and everything else really allowed for him to meet the criteria to honestly run for president if he wanted to and still have control of his company. And that's the thing is that if Zuckerberg gets in power, this proves the point. There would be no barrier. President Trump would not have to go after Facebook, okay, because President Zuckerberg would already owns the company and could say, all right, yeah, rewrite that code. That's what's so terrifying of it. That is corporatism on the worst scale. I mean, there's no good scale, but that's about as bad as it could get. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, is wiretapping and all this stuff, has that been done forever? Why would Messenger be any different? Isn't the FBI already allowed to do that? Well, not really. Apparently, things like Facebook Messenger, Google Hangouts, Signal, and so on uh, falls under, and, and there's more of it within this story, um, it falls under different legislation. Okay, in fact, actually hadn't fallen under any legislation, kind of like how Skype was really able to sidestep all legislation, and good for them, you know, until course they got to end up getting bought out by microsoft but skype was also used as spyware as well but that's a whole other that's a whole other history but bottom line being is they were able to circumvent regulation um, as to where this would be putting very clear regulation on the, you know those kind of uh, messaging apps and you know i mean a few points come up with this okay i don't need to read the rest of the story a few points come up with this one is is that this is where the argument comes from from privacy enthusiasts and security researchers that automatic updates are a problem where updates are happening without your permission, without your consent, and they get installed without you having any say in the matter, kind of like Windows 10 does and others, is that you could target updates, see? And this is why I also think it's very dangerous to have app stores, okay, and app repositories. I mean, there's advantages to them and blah, 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 but here's the thing, is that especially with, like, account-specific, it's one thing if it's, like, F-Droid, right, on Android, where with F-Droid, you don't put in account information or anything. So they generally, I mean, unless they're reading your your IMI number or whatever, or, you know, your IP address, whatever the fuck, or your Mac ID, whatever the fuck you're looking at, okay? Um, then I suppose that they could target you, but because the app, because the app that you installed, because, because the F-Droid app repository, which is like the Google Play Store, but it's open source, because it's not attached to a specific name, I don't know that they could forward an app to you, like, say, a messaging app that was custom tailor-made to allow for a backdoor so that the NSA, CIA, whoever, could look into it. They, could, they wouldn't be able to exactly target that in that way, not, not so efficiently. However, with the Google Play Store, right, 
So, okay, we got the IP address. We know, you know, what the account name is and everything that's attached to where we want to hide Facebook Messenger. First off, I don't know what the fuck. If there's some kind of, you know, a, like gang, quote unquote, what are you doing using Facebook Messenger? Give me a fucking break. Okay. <laughs> if there's someone you consider to be terrorists or something, uh, what, what the hell? You, you're using Facebook Messenger? Really? Uh Anyway, I, I'm not giving people advice on that, on, on how to engage in violent acts, because I, I am so anti-violence, you have no idea. Anyway, uh, so, but here's the thing. But now they could, because it would be, it, you know, to download something from the Google Play Store, which is either that or through the App Store, which is just as bad as the Google Play Store. Okay, now because those, to, to be able to even use those, you have to put in account credentials. You could target that account and send a very specific APK, send a very specific version of the app that would um, you know that 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 would have the backdoor built into it. This is why people freak out about automatic updates. In general, I think automatic updates are a fine and dandy thing because most people don't update often enough. You should be updating your apps like at least once a day, if not more than that. You know, you should be checking. Okay, is there an update? Is there an update? Because we're always finding out you know about new exploits and everything. And and companies worth their salt and that have the manpower are updating them pretty quickly because a lot of them are that serious, especially after we're not going to get into any DEFCON this week, but after like, you know, something like DEFCON and Black Hat happens uh, as they're happening, you know, now, <laughs> I mean, you find out about all kinds of things uh, and hopefully usually these, you know, uh, white hat hackers and whatever, even though I don't care if they're gray or black hat personally, uh, you know, they'll report it to the companies ahead of time so that they can already have the fix out before they bring it up. But regardless, people find out about this thing and you want to be updating your apps pretty regularly. But this is the concern around automatic updates is that you could get served a very specific version of an update that would put a backdoor into your system by the U.S. government. And you might have done absolutely nothing wrong because who knows what's illegal today? You know, what's the old saying or not? It's not an old saying. It's an old fact that, you know, the average person commits like three felonies a day. You know, they just don't know it. Right. Because they bought fish here and then they, they cooked it on this. And that's actually a felony in the state of Oregon or something like that. I mean, it's, it's really insane. What, whatever it is, I, I kind of just made that one up, but only kind of. Uh, so, you know, there's that concern around that sort of thing. Um, I again, I th if, if Zuckerberg is saying, no, I'm not going to hand over messenger data. I think that this is just a PR move because maybe he's still trying to run for political office. Um, I really think that that's that's all that this is about. Because Facebook doesn't mind handing over your data. What, I mean, if they're going to hand it over to advertisers, why would they have a problem? And they do. Why would they have a problem handing it over to the government? It doesn't even make fucking sense, that argument, that, that any of these companies have problem handing over your data. Give me a fucking break. Okay? So anyway, but that said, there's another point that I kind of want to bring up here is that so you have law enforcement asking, hey, you know, really, we need to we need to go th this route. And under this is no easy task. Like if this is specified versions of the app or if they are just rewriting the app writ large and everybody's going to have backdoors in their version of the app. OK, either way, this is not exactly like the, the easiest thing to do. OK, uh, you're talking about some real ground up uh, revisions. And I mean, who knows what else? Like, are they are they because the Facebook Messenger app actually has the signal protocol built into it. Now, are they going to have to do some rewrites of the signal protocol or are they going to remove that feature entirely? And if they don't remove the feature entirely, it proves the point that I've made many times that other implementations of the signal protocol outside of signal itself are very questionable, very, very questionable as far as is. Are they actually really, you know, are they solving issues with privacy, right? 
um, or you know, are are they are they actually encrypting your data? Are they actually hiding? Is it really being done end to end, or is data being sent to say Facebook or you know uh, what Skype is going to have it too is going to is is imba- uh, embedding or baking in the signal protocol so that Microsoft has your data as well? Whatever it, it raises those questions about implementation that I've brought up every time. You really, if you want to trust the signal protocol, only use the signal app. Do not use anything else that implements uh, the signal protocol. Uh, so anyway, all, all of that aside, okay, that's not, or my point in saying all that is that it's not an easy task. So, and here's the problem with that is that if now I look, I, I, I don't give a rat's fucking shit about law enforcement. I don't give a, you know, government, I'm, I'm an anarchist. Okay. And I, I really am. All right. I'm a peaceful one, but I'm an anarchist. There are so many tools for surveillance that are available to law enforcement and government today. Hell, to the average person today. And it is usually made clear in most of these court cases. We don't know about this one because it's closed. It's a, you know, cl- it's a closed session. It is usually uh, uh, identified pretty quickly that law enforcement did not use any of those tools available to them. Okay. But they go asking for more powers. And the argument could go, if you believe in government and law enforcement... What you should be telling them as a concerned citizen, whatever the hell that means, is, hey, wait a minute. You exhaust all of these avenues that are already available to you right now. And if you go through those and you don't get your your criminal, you don't get your your, your target, then come to us and talk about rewriting entire fucking apps. Okay, with backdoors in them. And, and that's, a you know, I mean, that's something people aren't thinking about and they need to think about that. Like, if you really believe in fighting the shit in court, and I know some people do, I don't know why, but they do. OK, uh, I mean, hey, everybody's got to do their thing. You got to you got to act upon your conscience, how you're going to act upon it. All right. And if you do, this is what you should be saying in court. Wait a minute, but they didn't use this. Wait, but they didn't use this, you know. Put up. Uh, they're not reapers. I'm trying to think of the name of them where where they have they have drones that can mimic, um, you know, a cell phone tower that can collect all the data from the cell phone tower. Now, if it's encrypted, I guess that there, there's an issue, uh, you know, necessarily around that. But there's so many things that could be done um, about this. How about this? You know, instead of rewriting the and this is the part that nobody wants to talk about. This is the big thing that nobody really wants to write when it comes to tech, including security researchers. And now, I mean, video calls, this wouldn't necessarily solve that. But as far as with text, well, don't go to Facebook. Go to the little keyboard companies. You know, I mean, it's interesting that the keyboard company, you know, two major keyboards for most uh, mobile systems are, you know, virtual, you know, on-screen keyboards are run by Google. And now SwiftKey, of course, is owned by Microsoft. Uh, I mean, I could see where those little companies might have wanted or, you know, where, where like SwiftKey would have wanted protection uh, like Microsoft's lawyers. So that way they could deal with all the red tape and everything. But come on, you know, Google has all of everything that's getting typed out. Go and ask for that government. I mean, there's so many avenues to go through without having to rewrite an entire fucking app. And, and you know, like Google tells you when you install a keyboard, hey, this could be recorded and sent to a third party. It's right there. They have access to that. So fucking use that. 
I mean, I don't want them to, any of this to exist. I don't want any of this to even be a thing. Don't don't confuse me. But I'm saying if we're going to make the argument of what to do, there's a million other things to do before you go, you know, telling all these messenger companies to rewrite their fucking app and build in back doors, which defeats the purpose of fucking security in the first place. And if all the terrible things that you say that Russia is doing is happening, then every time you put in another back door, it's not just a back door for the U.S. government. It's a back door for every other government in the world. But that's not what this is about. This is just all about control. It's not about actually catching a killer. It's not about catching, I don't know, some gang. It's not about catching some group. It's not about, you know, defending people or anything like that. It's all about people above you having more power. Because if it's anything else, if it's any other reason, it doesn't make any sense. And you should be even more scared because of how stupid these people are. I wish they would just be honest and say, yeah, this is about us having control. This is not about defending you, because if we were about defending you, we'd give you the encryption. Hell, we would we would we would give it our blessing. We would say to Moxie Marlin Spike, attaboy for making signal. Now, I know there's people who have concerns around signal. I had some people tweet at me at that. And, and actually, some of those concerns I share uh, and I've talked to, I've talked about them over the years. Uh, but anyway, just for for this for the sake of this conversation, this argument. Um, but, you know, I want to bring up just something a little bit bigger. OK. Facebook Messenger, you know, ultimately, what do you do? Like, I, I've, I spend all this time talking about what the government or law enforcement or whatever should do or what people that are going to court to fight this thing should do, blah, blah, blah. What should the average consumer do? What should you, the sovereign tech listener, do about this? Well, the answer is simple, and it's been the same for years. Don't fucking use Facebook Messenger. In fact, you know what? If somebody comes up to you, because because th- this is going to, like, okay, let's say this doesn't pass now. Well, do you think the next president that, that Zuckerberg might play ball with him? I bet. I mean, because there's a lot of things going on. Like in Silicon Valley, you have the 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 left, shall we say, in Silicon Valley uh, that is really making quite a stink about, you know, Google playing ball with China, about all these other companies playing ball with Trump, you know, and everything. I mean, Facebook could have a literal employee revolt on their hands if it was discovered that, oh, shit, you know, Zuck is handing over all this data. And is, you know, causing rewrites and is giving Trump more power. I, I mean, that, that can really happen. So in a very real sense, like CEOs sort of have to pay attention because shit's getting ugly out there with these employees. They're leaving their jobs and we're talking about some of the best programmers in the world. You don't want to lose them as a company. I mean, I think it's a fine and dandy thing. Get away from these fucking tech giants. They're all heinous. But look, here's the deal. Facebook Messenger is fucking spyware. In fact, you know what? I read a great thing. In fact, I think this had to do with Signal. Google Play Store, Google Play Services, you know what you should think of that? It's not an app repository because, again, if it wasn't an app repository, the whole automatic update you know, argument that I brought up wouldn't necessarily be an issue. Don't think of it as an app repository. Don't think of it as an app store. It's a root kit for your fucking device. It's a, just one giant goddamn backdoor. And believe me, I gave... I gave Signal shit for requiring Google Play services. Of course, that's changed lately. But anyway, and I've been doing that for a long time until it did change. And I gave them shit for being built on top of Chrome, okay, or, you know, for for the desktop app. But regardless of, of any of that, okay, don't use Facebook Messenger. And if some guy, you know, if, if you're you're a gal out there, I know, I know I have lots, lots, lots of women listeners, and I love you. Thank you. Okay. If some guy says, hey, are you on Messenger? Tell him to get the fuck out of your face. Go ahead, stand up for it and say, get out of my face. In fact, and guys, hell, guys, you do it too. Someone says, hey, you on Messenger? You say, get out of here. What the hell are you? What do you, you want me to use spyware? 
What are you trying to do? You trying to ruin my life? You trying to ruin my entire financial livelihood by telling me to install fucking crapware from the fucking government, which is effectively what this is going to turn it into. And we don't know how this is going to shake up. This is only a day old. Government might win. Well, I mean, the government always wins. Effectively. Unless you, you, the individual, says, fuck you, I'm not using your fucking spyware, I'm not using your fucking malware, and I'm going open source, and I'm going to go use this, I'm going to use real fucking encryption, and I'm going to do, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, put sex on the line for it, baby. Put sex on the line. Say, no, oh, yeah, oh, you want to go on a date with me? Oh, you're not contacting me on Facebook Messenger. Fuck you. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Start putting real shit on the line. Real, real, you know, emotional shit on the line when it comes to this. I'm telling you. I am so I am so tired of this crap. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, what do you expect? I mean, either way, you're getting spied on. You know, it's whether, honestly, whether the government wins or not. You know, I mean, there's, what is it? Uh, uh, actually, I think this was at DEF CON where they talked about how WhatsApp, um, there, there's an exploit in WhatsApp that allows people to literally change text messages, uh, you know, with a man in the middle. You, you think you sent one thing, the person's going to receive another. And, and this is a big problem in other countries like India and elsewhere. Okay. I, I mean, these apps, this shit's dangerous. No, stick with the good stuff. You know, you got Signal, Briar, uh, go with PGP encrypted emails. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of great tools out there for people to use. Hell, maybe even Telegram. At least that's run by an anarchist. But get the fuck away from these messaging apps that, that the government's going after. And, and you know, Telegram is a company that's literally standing up against a lot of these governments. Uh, I mean, some people have questions about Iran. Well, anyway, a, a lot of that's in the air, and I don't, I don't have, like, all the information to talk about it. But, yeah, start telling people, no, don't contact me on Messenger. No. And put your fucking foot down about it. So anyway, whew, all right, I'll be right back with, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech and we'll, maybe we'll lighten things up a little bit. Hey, 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 I tell you, you want to get on with something that respects your privacy, respects your security, and respects you as an individual? Let me tell you what you want to check out, okay? There is a blockchain technology out there that gets me so excited, gets me so hot, and that is Zencash. Now, Zencash, why don't you go to Zencash.com to check it out. Sovereign Tech sponsor. They are so on board with so much of what we talk about on Sovereign Tech. You want a technology that uses the latest in cryptography, like ZK Snarks? You want all that stuff getting encrypted? You want all that action? You want money, like Zencash? Or you want an entire platform that you can do publishing and so much more on? That is Zencash. Go to Zencash.com. They'll get you your hookup. Zencash.com. And I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo! important messages i'm telling you i'm telling you you a guy asks you hey can i can i uh, can i write you on on facebook messenger ladies you tell him you say what kind of a girl do you think i fucking am you get right in their face man enough you got the power i'm telling you you, you really do you ladies you know it you're you're all the power you you've got it you can you can change this Anyway, I'm not not saying you have to. I'm not putting the responsibility on you. I'm just saying that if you want to do something, 
you can do it better than anybody else, and you know it, uh, and I love you for it. So, okay, um, let's get. We got a got a little little question here for important messages. Of course, important messages is where you can send in, uh, you know, questions, and they can be about anything. Hell, they could, you know they don't have to be science or tech related. They can be about love. I don't care. <laughs> I've gotten plenty of those in the past. Uh, you can ask me anything. But this is uh, this is an interesting. This is one of those subjects that has to continually get revisited because you know Google who's just as heinous as Facebook, uh, really changes their own game quite a bit uh, when it comes to any of their services. Of course, they'll, they'll drop services, you know, like there's no tomorrow. I mean, they have no problem just like, or like yesterday's newspaper is what I meant to say, not like no tomorrow. Uh, they have no problem doing that whenever they want. It's like, oh, yeah, you really like that uh, that app that we created? That's gone. <laughs> You never build on top of Google. Uh, anyway, so the question was uh, was pretty basic. Actually, it was sent in to me on Signal. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, of course, I'll leave you anonymous as to who you are, but uh, other than maybe a pronoun here and there. Um, do you currently use any sort of YouTube media downloader or converter? Um, I have a ton of chill step I want to archive. Okay, great question. And because this does consistently change and there were there have been apps like they used to for Firefox they used to be very popular. I mean, really like the best way used to be years ago to and really up until a year or two ago um, to download YouTube content, be it the video or maybe something that automatically converted it to MP3 or whatever, was to use extensions for the Firefox uh, web browser because Chrome's extensions, unless you turn on developer mode, and even then it's kind of flaky, you have to go through the Chrome Web Store, okay, which creates all the problems we were just talking about with Facebook Messenger. But anyway, um, you run into, you, you know, you can't, they they wouldn't allow for, Chrome would not allow for apps that did allow for YouTube downloading. It could download from any other site. They don't care about any other site. So it's not like it's a matter of principle. They just don't want you downloading YouTube videos. And uh, but that that those have more or less gone away, um, even for Firefox, especially since Firefox did their major culling where um, they changed their entire, uh, you know, extension or add on infrastructure uh, to where it became Chrome compatible. But anyway, so there this this constantly changes like one day a website works the next day a website shut down one day an extension works the next day an extension shut down. I mean, it's just it, it's. You know, the ducks just keep on moving. And well, one that I've been using for a good long while now, and that works for just about any website, doesn't just work for YouTube, um, but I really like it. The only thing is, is it doesn't give you a whole lot of options as far as what you want the MP3 to look like, like what's the sound quality that you want. Uh, and, you know, if you're going for Chill Step, which, oh, fuck yeah, baby, I love Chill Step. I will listen between Chill Step and Starship engine sounds and bridge sequences, you know, Starship bridge sequences. Uh, like that's when I need to get into flow and when I need to actually get some work done and everything like that is absolutely what is playing in the background for me. I mean, I'll listen to other stuff too at, at times, certainly, but, um, yeah, love fucking love chill step. If you're listening to this, you've never heard of it. You are in for a treat. Let me assure you. So anyway, uh, yeah. So for, to, to download that, like you'd probably want to download the video, the original MP4, if it's an MP4, the original video itself and then use, like, if you're on a Windows machine, you want to use something like any video converter that would give you a lot of options as to what the, what, what the sound will end up looking like. 
okay, when you convert it, will it be a 320K MP3 or 192K MP3, which 192, 192 kilobit MP3 is what I think is kind of the gold standard. I know some people say, no, only FLAC or only 320. Uh, I don't, I really don't think there's a big difference between 320 and 192. Now between 192 and 128, oh, fuck yeah, there's a huge difference in MP3s. I mean, there's a huge difference between that. Okay, but 192, I think, is is really CD quality, in, in my opinion. Um, and believe me, I'm one of those guys that thinks digital doesn't exactly, you know, cut muster all the time, all right? Uh, you know, as far as, like, getting the entire range of human hearing, even they, they can claim that it does, but I don't always believe that. Um, anyway, so maybe you'd want to do that, but the site to actually download from, and we'll do auto conversion to MP3, is 9xBuddy. Again, this number 9 xbuddy.app 9xbuddy.app the link is in the show notes for that but it allows you to download and convert all of these files into all kinds of wild shit and you can't use clipconverter.cc that's another one that I really like but that doesn't do music that's where 9xbuddy will 9xbuddy.app will do all of them and it'll do SoundCloud sounds it'll do everything uh, so I definitely definitely recommend 9xbuddy.app link is in the show notes for that and that's what I use to get download all my stuff from youtube all right i'll be back with more hey i know what you're thinking wow this is a great fucking show and you know what i agree with you and i'm not just saying it because i'm the host Woo! but i am the podcast champion baby and let me tell you if you want to help out the podcast champion you want to help out the golden stallion the man of tomorrow Savzu, the rated r radio star and you want to make sovereign tech an even bigger show Here's how you do it, and don't worry, it's not for free, and you get something out of it. You go to Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Become a Sovereign Tech patron, and you will get access to literally thousands of hours of bonus content. There's new content every week. You get to be in the live Q&A hangouts that we do every month. You get to access to the Wednesday Q&A. Do you like that important messages segment? We do one every single week and it goes a good hour strong, if not longer, if needed, depending on how many questions there are. That's only for patrons. And all you got to do is at least a dollar a month. Some do significantly more and I'm honored by that. But become a patron, support the show, help it grow. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And I thank you to all the patrons already out there and all the ones to come. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. HackSec. It is time for HackSec. You know, speaking of HackSec, uh, some, I'm not going to cover it here, but something that is, that's relative to what we we're just talking about. One of the reasons I recommend using a website like 9xbuddy.app, first off, make sure you have a, this is going to sound counterintuitive at first, okay? Uh, make sure you have an ad blocker running. All right. And of course, you want to use uBlock Origin, whatever browser you happen to be using. And uBlock Origin exists for pretty much every browser, including Microsoft Edge, even if you're one of those guys. Okay. Or gals. Or Z's. Um, but anyway, you want to go there using that. And the reason I recommend using a website is because there have been so many reports. And talk about a culling. Facebook has removed, I think, almost 100,000 apps now in the past month where there was just a ton of apps that were collecting so much data about your browsing history and whatever else. Um, of course, Google's been doing that, you know, kind of right and left. Um, but point being is that you really want to run with as few extensions or add-ons in your browser as possible. It is just becoming more and more commonplace for those to have some kind of exploit or malicious intent when you install them. Um, so get, get the fuck away from almost every extension that you can. Uh, 
and and again, you do want to run an ad blocker. That way, you're secure on the internet, and you know it's more enjoyable. Um, and it's not again, as I always say, it is not your responsibility for these sites to figure out how they're going to get paid. That's their job. Okay, your job is just to secure your shit. That way, we're all secure. The more secure we are, the more secure all of us are. The more secure all of us are. Right. Simple statement. Okay. So, you know, use an ad blocker, uh, use uBlock origin, but yeah, I mean, I just want to bring that to light is that a lot of extensions have been getting reported, including a lot of them are claimed to be security extensions, but they're actually tracking you. Uh, in fact, some of them are anti-tracking ones, but they're just selling off, which I mean, we've known that the apps that are, should I say, extensions and add-ons have been doing this for a while. Uh, Ghostery, which I tell people to never use because that's exactly what they do. Oh, they block this. They block that ad, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're selling off what they're blocking. They're selling off all that information about you. Fuck it. Okay, so use uBlock Origin. It's just a beautiful little ad blocker run by one guy. Anyway, just wanted to drive the point home. Use as few extensions and add-ons as possible. I mean, you really, really don't need a lot. I mean, maybe if you use LastPass, right, maybe you've got LastPass going, and then, you know, maybe you're using, like, that Malwarebytes extension we talked about last week, and you're using... um, an ad blocker, and that should be about it, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it really should be very, very slim pickings as far as that goes, because the more you add on, again, this breaks what I call uh, my concept, and I created it, called software minimalism. The more you add on, the more gateways and exploits there, there's the potential for. So keep it keep it slim on, on those extensions and add-ons. It's better for your RAM anyway. Okay, so let's, uh, not talking about RAM, but actually processes, as in processors. Oh, boy, the gift that keeps on giving. Um <sighs> So the, the story I have here is from the register, and uh, I'll just I'll read you the headline here. Three more data leaking security holes found in Intel chips as designers swap security for speed. Here's the, uh, the bottom line. Apps, kernels, virtual machines, SGX, SS, SMM at risk from attack. And bottom line being, OK, with with what this story is going to say. But there's there's a larger and the story brings it up. Kudos to them. But there's there's kind of a broader point to bring up here. Okay, and the broad point is. So, well, the main point is, is that they they have found exploits. Some of these are really hard to to take advantage of, though. Okay, so, you know, while they exist, it's like, yeah, okay, it exists, but that's really difficult for someone to do. That doesn't mean you don't take it seriously, but just, you know, don't be like, oh, my God, we're all fucked. Everything's screwed. I mean, in a way it is. Uh, bottom line being is that these exploits, these three exploits, affect pretty much every Intel processor. As to where, you know, Spectre and Meltdown, you know, might have been a little more specific case, even though Spectre is, you know, we're finding out more and more ways that Spectre is getting taken advantage of. Um, we're not all screwed, but this is one where, boy, does it fucking feel like it. And and here's here's kind of the main point that I want to want to bring up with this. Um, in fact, you know, I'm going to read, I want to read from the story, uh, whether let me read a little bit about what they say. And then I want to get into the broader point that I think is really important to, to hit home. Uh, it says Intel will uh, today, and this is from August 14th, so just a few days ago, Intel will today disclose three more vulnerabilities in its processors that can be exploited by malware and malicious virtual machines to potentially steal secret information from computer memory. These secrets can include passwords, personal and financial records, and encryption keys. They can be potentially lifted from other applications and other customers' virtual machines, as well as SGX enclaves and a system management mode. Uh, SGX is Intel's technology that is supposed to protect those secrets from snooping code, kind of like 
secure enclave for your iPhone, right? Uh, SMM, SMM is your computer's hidden janitor that has total control over the hardware and total access to its data. Now, that SMM is one of the things that something like Libreboot, which is an alternative uh, firmware, uh, BIOS effectively, for you know for Intel processors that gets put into Libreboot computers, which I highly recommend, and can mitigate a lot of what's talked about here. Um, that's part of the reason that Libreboot was created because, you know, real security researchers were fucking terrified that Intel has this, you know, what could have, could add up to total control, uh, of the processor. Okay. And you don't really have a whole lot of say in the matter. So anyway, reading on, um, across the board, Intel's desktop workstation and server CPUs are vulnerable across the board. Repeat that again. Crucially, they do not work as documented. Uh, where their technical manuals say memory can be marked off, limp- off limits, it simply is not. So effectively, Intel is lying Okay, about you know just how secure everything they do is. Does that surprise people? Probably not. Um, but this is, you know, a lot of this has to do more with Spectre and, and so on. Like I said, that's a constantly evolving um, problem. So there's three of them, and you get the idea of what exactly is at stake here all of your data, your digital life, which again, you know, affects your, you know, your physical life. I mean, there's really no difference anymore. There might've been a time where you could have separated the two, but really no longer. Um, so I want to read, they have the point. So what went wrong? This is kind of a, a subheader that they have here to summarize the problem. Essentially, Intel's CPUs ignore their operating system kernel page tables. Operating systems such as Microsoft Windows and Linux maintain special data structures called page tables in memory that describe how portions of physical RAM are carved up and allocated to running applications. These tables, defined in Intel's manual, specify whether or not information can be read or written to in sections of memory by applications. Crucially, they also have a setting called present, which when set to one indicates an actual chunk of physical RAM is available to store some information for a running application. When it is zero, there is no physical RAM allocated, so any access to that area should be blocked by a page fault. When an application tries to touch some of its data in memory, it references the information using a virtual memory address. This address has to be converted into physical memory address, which points to some part of a RAM chip in the system. The processor therefore may consult the page tables to convert the app's virtual memory address to the corresponding physical RAM address. This takes time, and today's Intel CPUs will not wait for a page table to walk to complete, uh, or yeah, to walk to complete when they uh, could be doing something more useful. They will uh, speculatively execute code based on a copy of the requested information cached in the L1 data cache, even if the page table specify that this data is no longer present in physical memory and thus should not be read. Okay, the upshot is malware or malicious guest operating system can exploit this to ascertain data it shouldn't be able to read. So, Stanley breaking in. What does all that mean? Bottom line being is that you get stuff stored into your memory cache, okay, in your RAM, not even necessarily on your hard drive, like temporarily, like maybe you save something to the clipboard or something like that. That doesn't, that's not true for all operating systems, but it's just an example. Okay, it's temporarily being stored there. Now, when you have an exploit, like the Spectre exploit, okay, that can take advantage and can read what was put on that RAM temporarily. Yes, RAM rewrites itself constantly, is not meant to hold on to information for a long period of time. Okay, but if someone were there, if someone were taking advantage of these exploits, they could read what is getting written to the RAM. And the RAM is not being secured, and the reason it's not being secured is because here's the thing, is that Intel, and this is the main point to bring up, and the article kind of brings it up, okay, Intel, for decades, 
has been pulling a trick to make their processors that much faster to try and beat AMD to defeat good old Cyrix. Remember Cyrix? I love Cyrix. Okay, to, to beat you know to beat all them, they pulled some dirty tricks, and they said, okay, we are going to favor speed over security. We are not going to do things right. We are not going to make sure that that all of these different uh, you know enclave areas of memory are secure. We're going to do where, okay, you know, we'll, we'll just say, all right, well, we'll let it hold it a little bit longer or we'll keep it open. That way, another part of memory can more easily access it. And so processes, you know, can work against each other, again, through, through the L1 cache, okay? And that way, you know, everything can, can just access all these different data bits far, far more quickly than people realize that they ever could. But if they, here's the thing, if Intel went the secure route, your computer would be that much slower. That's why we were talking about when Spectre and Meltdown came out that, yeah, you're going to see like potentially nine to 30% hits in speed because now they have to lock down these processors to where they can't just keep kind of stuff sitting at the ready in the RAM to where it can look like where it tricks you into thinking your computer is actually moving faster when it's not really processes that the processor is not really going faster. It is just holding on to certain information in uh, memory storage just a little bit longer. So that you can more quickly, you know, it can be more quickly accessed and shared between applications. That's the problem, though. When you're sharing it between applications, if one of those applications is malicious, it's going to get all that data from that other application that isn't. You see. So Intel pulled a very dirty trick. And this gets down to my 10th law of thermodynamics, that there is always a trade-off between security and convenience. And convenience could equate to speed. And so I think this falls under that where absolutely Intel chose convenience slash speed over actual security. Now, their claim is, Intel's claim is, is that they will be coming out with processors that are hardened against Spectre and so on later this year. Now, we're talking about Threadripper, AMZ's Ryzen second generation Threadripper, 32 cores. Okay, we were talking about that. You might feel a little more confident about buying those. But that said, you do have, you know, with Intel processors, I would wait to buy a new computer, unless money's no object for you. Yeah, and if, you're, if it's no object for you, please become a patron. <laughs> but for sovereign time. But um, you know, if money is unless money's no object for you, I would not buy a new computer until you hear about these Spectre hardened uh, processors from Intel, which probably part of the i nine series eventually would be that. Okay, but I would really, really wait to buy a new computer until you get that because I mean, there's just new things coming out all the time about this, and you're taking a speed hit. Now I don't know how Intel's exactly going to solve that, and you might want to wait until people get a good look or we get some kind of white paper about how exactly they licked Spectre in their new processors. But again, it's supposed to be by the end of the year that there will be Spectre hardened uh, uh, Intel processors. All I'm saying is, is just wait for that. Okay, there's not much you can do about this. And again, these are hard to execute. And really, you need to be a pretty important target, I think, for it to want to be used against you. Okay, but Intel really fucked up. I mean, they really fucked up. And in fact, they've they fucked up so bad with all this. Like, not that I ever felt bad for them, but I don't feel bad that they're losing the processor war against potentially AMD now. And they've certainly all everybody's losing against ARM. Like, I have I have I don't feel bad for them for a fucking second because they they screwed themselves they really screwed themselves. Security always first when it comes to computing. 
always first. Fuck convenience and speed. Security every damn time because eventually it'll bite you in the ass just like this. Anyway, I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Hold off on buying that computer. You wait. Don't worry. I'll recommend the ones. If you want to wait for me to give you the okay, I'll do that. Anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where, oh, yes, I really get to, you know, calm down. I'd say I'd put my hair down, but I'm bald. So, <laughs> can't do that. But where I really get to hopefully calm down, though maybe I won't get to calm down because, God damn it. Okay, now, longtime listeners of Sovereign Tech, you know, you know how much I love Nintendo. And I mean it, I really do. I love Nintendo. I mean, a company. And I've brought this up on, on uh, Q&As, on Wednesday Q&As on Patreon, because people have asked me about it. They said, you know, considering how Nintendo is about IP, how can you stand by that company? Like, how can you still be willing to buy into it? In a way, you know, my only argument that I had was, well, I mean, I have other arguments that I can make about it. But the argument that I pretty much made was, look, when a company puts that many smiles on fucking faces, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, and they really do. Like, I mean, they, you could argue they're the greatest company ever. You know, as far as if you measured companies in happiness index, how much happiness did they bring into the world? I think Nintendo would probably kick everybody's ass. Okay, and that that means something. That stands for something. But they're not making everybody happy. Uh, I got a story here from Ars Technica from August 9th, and it's lawsuit threat shuts down ROM downloads on major emulation site. I'll read just a little bit. In the wake of Nintendo's recent lawsuits against other ROM distribution sites, major ROM repository MU Paradise has announced it will preemptively cease providing downloadable versions of copyrighted classic games. While MU MU Paradise doesn't seem to have been hit with any lawsuits yet, site founder uh, Mash J writes in an announcement post that, quote, it's not worth it for us to risk potentially disastrous consequences. I cannot in good conscience risk the futures of our team members who have contributed to the site through the years. We run MU Paradise for the love of retro games and for you to be able to revisit those good uh, good times. Unfortunately, it's not possible right now to do so in a way that makes everyone happy and keeps us out of trouble. So, uh, you know, I want to read the kind of the underscoring headline of this story, and it's move highlights the lack of legal legal access options for much of gaming's history. And this is really the deal. So, you know, yeah, ROM sites get shut down. I mean, I remember in the 90s, there was a very popular ROM site. Of course, ROMs are digital versions downloaded from cartridges of classic cartridge games or even CD based games. But in that case, it'd be an ISO image, you know, it'd be a disk image, not a ROM. Um, you know, where and you could put those into an emulator like Nesticle uh, or, I don't know, SNES 9X or whatever, you know, and you could play like all these classic Super Nintendo games, Nintendo games and whatever else, Genesis games, you name it. OK, uh, it's, it's a really, really cool thing, um, you know, to be able to have. And there's a cool reason why. And I'll get into that in a second. But regardless, this is not new. Uh, there was a site called IHOR, OK, which stood for International House of ROMs. OK, I-H-O-R. 
that was shut down in the late 90s when computers got to the point where they could actually emulate at least a Nintendo and any, you know, a, a NES. OK, we know that's the official version now. NES, not NES. <laughs> but uh, you could at least, you know, uh, uh, emulate that. Then Super Nintendo came along and then others came along and, you know, the rest is history. Um, the rest is gaming history, I should say. So this is not new. These kinds of things have been going on for decades and by Nintendo themselves uh, as well. All right. And I don't support that they do this. I don't think it's okay. And I'll tell you why. Now, I'll tell you why they're doing it. And then I'll tell you why I don't think it's okay. So the reason why they're doing it, obviously, and I think why there's a renewed, why there's a resurgence in companies doing this, because it's not just Nintendo. It is, you know, there's other gaming companies doing it. It is because the retro console craze, which I am part of that craze. I love it. Okay. You know, I love my, my NES mini, um, I, or, you know, my NES classic. I love my SNES classic. I love them all. Um, then under this craze, there's a lot of money to be made by reselling classic games in a beautiful console package. And they really are beautiful. Uh, but the argument goes, and it's been going on ever since the, you know, the NES classic was announced. Um, that, well, why don't you just set up a Raspberry Pi with a bunch of ROMs on it, right? That you download from, say, MU Paradise or something. Yeah, and while, you know, my argument against that was, like, look, I'll do both. I don't have to just do one. I'll do both because I want that beautiful package. I want that beautiful presentation. And look, Nintendo does a bang-up job. I mean, a phenomenal job of of making it worth your money, even if you've already had the, had these games in other, other ways, be it on a virtual console on your 3DS or something like that, even if you had it under legal means. Okay, they do a beautiful job. But the reason I would want to do both is because there's a lot of games where, you know, speaking of IP, of intellectual property, their IP is very much in question. Who owns this game? It can never get re-released because nobody owns it, you know, or like nobody nobody can claim it. I should say, not that nobody owns it. If you think nobody owns it, you think everybody could claim it. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, not all the time anyway. So there are so many games throughout his, throughout gaming history that just people are, you know, they're, they're never going to know about. Like for, for the Super Nintendo. There, I mean, there's some stunning classics. Gemfire. Have you ever played Gemfire? This game is fucking brilliant. It is brilliant. It's a strategy game. It is awesome. There was, there was one for Nintendo as well. Is that ever going to get a re-release on some console? The fuck it will. It never will. How about uh, some other ones? Death and Return of Superman for, for the Super Nintendo. Is that ever going to get a re-release on some mini console? Nope. You know, I mean, because what's it going to cost to fucking get the license to Superman today? You know, I mean, there's so many fucking games out there that you're never going to get to play if people don't take it into their own hands, download the ROMs or whatever. Or, you know, there's even a scene now where what people are doing is and you can go on eBay. Right. Um, in fact, I was looking into this. Uh, I was getting it was when I, I bought that that collector's edition from Retrobit of, uh, of R-Type 3 and Super R-Type great games uh but it's so nice to have like classic or you know games on it i mean it's it's a compilation cartridge so it's effectively like buying a new game right and you know you could pop it into a super nintendo or a super nintendo uh uh you know mimic uh device and you could play it like a you know you could just pop in super super nintendo cartridge and away you go um you could buy copies of if you wanted to buy an original copy say for super nintendo of ninja gaiden trilogy now you can play ninja gaiden one that's actually i think that's on the nes or on the on the nes classic Okay, you can, you know, you can play some of these games in some places, but if you wanted to play the Ninja Gaiden trilogy, which had updated graphics and all this other stuff, to get an original cartridge, you're going to, you're going to spend almost 200 bucks just for an original cartridge. But what you can do is that out of Asia, you can buy, um, 
a cartridge. You can buy an actual Super Nintendo cartridge where they load and they'll, they'll put the artwork on it and everything. But they load up, they upload the ROM instead of downloading it from the cartridge and making it available on the internet for everybody to play with an emulator. They're doing it in, in the opposite direction where they're putting it onto a cartridge and then they'll sell you the cartridge and you could pop it into your Super Nintendo or your Super Nintendo clone, uh, you know, clone device. And that's great. I think that that's really cool, you know, uh, especially when you consider how many games. I mean, fuck, you know, it's so funny. I mean, you have people kind of understandably, okay, freaking out about, um, you know, freaking out about ROM sites getting taken down. But, you know, people should, well, I mean, some people are, but you should be freaking out about the fact that you have whole games where people spend maybe hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of dollars to play them with their internet purchases and everything that are getting shut down by the day. You know, like the games are getting shut down by the companies themselves and you're never going to play those again. And no ROM download or anything is ever going to save that. There's a beauty to being able to have control of that data and being able to hold it into posterity for the future. And Nintendo is really fucking with that. I mean, people are still going to do this. Alternative websites are going to pop up and everything. Okay, but but that's the thing is I think the importance of this is that there are games. There are some of the best video games ever made in fucking history. And I know it's hard to believe that Nintendo might not have made some of the best fucking video games in history, but they didn't. Okay, there are some games that just they're this is the only way they're ever going to be played again. And it's I dare say it's criminal. If there's a real crime, it is criminal to you know keep people from getting access if they have the ability access to you know to to pieces of art to works of art okay if you know how to how to download that rom if you know how to you know whatever you're doing and get an emulator running and you can code it if you can make it happen i have the old saying you know uh, what's not nailed down what what's not nailed down is mine what i can pry loose is also mine so if you can pry it loose well fuck play that game you know, I mean, I think it's a crime if people never played Gemfire. I think it's a crime if people never played One Must Fall 2049. I think it's a crime if people pl- never played Blade Runner from Westwood. I, I mean, fucking A, get on it. Oh, anyway, yeah, so I, I believe me, I hate the fact that Nintendo is doing this. I understand why the sites aren't taking a stand. I don't hold anything against them, okay? Uh, yeah, like, take down the ROMs, and there's other ways. We're, we're heading into an open-source decentralized future anyway, and we really are, and that's going to lick a lot of this as it is. But And Nintendo will have to learn that lesson. But, I mean, they've already... I mean, how many times have I bought Super Mario Brothers? I lost count. Uh, you know, that, that might be the, the first real, like... $10,000 game because I've bought it so many times on so many different systems. I've had to have spent somewhere around $1,000 anyway. Uh, so, you know, it's not like they're not laughing to the bank anyway. Uh, and that's really what companies need to do. Don't shut down the ROMs. Just, you you gotta, you have to present these classic games in such a way that it's worth our money to buy them again. And they're doing that, but then they're getting, well, frankly, they're getting greedy. So I'm pissed off about it, but just just saying, I mean, it is happening, but, you know, there's torrents. There's lots of ways to get access to these. Maybe I'll talk about them on a Wednesday Q&A on Patreon. Uh, But just so you know, yeah, that's happening, and it's not anything new. So, all right, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Jezebel.com recently had an article about how much more it costs to have a vagina than a penis. Well, first of all, there's period gear. An average woman will have about 500 periods in her lifetime, and she'll pay $120 to $160 a year for pads and tampons, not to mention the extra time that's involved. A lot of women will be paying from $120 to $1,000 a year or more for birth control, and add up to $500 a year for gynecological exams and the occasional yeast or urinary tract infection. 
Occasionally, even the best methods of birth control will fail. This means a woman would have to set aside between $400 and $1,000 if she needs an abortion, and way, way more if she decides to have a child. Pubic hair removal will cost $315 a year if a woman gets waxed only nine times. Haircuts cost more for women, and most women need way more hair care products than men. If a woman has her nails done, that's an extra $40 every two weeks or $1,000 or more a year. Now, makeup is not cheap, and unless a guy is a serious clothes horse, the average woman will pay way more for clothes each year than he will. And he doesn't have to buy bras or pantyhose. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Wild card. Ooh, it is time for wild card where uh, I kind of get to talk about anything, but I try to keep it, you know, science or tech related or maybe history. Uh, not like the climax where I can literally talk about anything. And uh, I've, I've got something I want to talk about during the climax. But uh, anyway, I teased this earlier that we would get back to perhaps talking about aliens. Now, I want to start this off by me saying, you know, by me disclaiming. And I know longtime listeners already know this well about me. OK, but. I think that alien life is incredibly, incredibly rare, okay, in the universe. Uh, and I, I don't mean I don't mean like simple life or even animal life. I, I mean like really, really sapient, like you know, life like humans, where there's consciousness and where we can act outside of instinct and so on. Uh, like that's you know maybe and you know creatures that have that have passed the broken divide. Um, I think they're exceptionally, exceptionally rare. And I know a lot of people want to bring up the Drake equation whenever I say that. But um, no, sorry, like Drake was just dead wrong. So <laughs> so anyway, um, I just want to make that clear when I talk about this. And I also you know, I don't think aliens have ever been to sapient aliens have never been to uh, planet Earth either. You know, I just want to make that very clear. But anyway, Forbes did this piece that was very interesting, which is in response and it's kind of a delayed response, but it's in response to Breakthrough Starshot. Uh, now, I, well, I'll, I'll save that point for later. Breakthrough Starshot is something that we talked about uh, when it was first announced. This might have been a year, maybe two ago, um, which a few different millionaires and billionaires are getting involved in this, where they're going to take pretty much probes the size of an Altoids can and with laser propulsion launch them at near light speeds. Uh, into space and they're going to have them take pictures and all that and then all that data gets sent back blah 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 but they're these really small ships and you know there's there's a lot of reasons for that design because it allows for them to reach impressive speeds uh you know that that we can allow them to reach again through that laser propulsion which is also kind of their guidance system but anyway that that's that's breakthrough starshot uh it'll talk about a little bit in this article but i want to read some of this and well, anyway, it's it's interesting, but uh, it's written by Ethan Siegel, and I hate to tell you, Ethan, but you kind of you're kind of off, <laughs> okay, about some things on this. So anyway, the story is: is humanity about to accidentally declare interstellar war on alien civilizations? Let's read on here. Imagine yourself on a world not so different from Earth, orbiting a star not so different from our sun. The temperature and atmosphere keyword atmosphere, folks. Uh, and that's stallion breaking and reading on are just right for liquid water to exist on the surface and a mix of oceans and continents ensures that life has had stable 
thriving conditions for billions of years. Evolutionary processes increase the complexity and level of differentiation of the organisms on this world, too. Through a combination of chance mutations and selection pressures, a species on this world became sentient, conscious, and reached unprecedented levels of dominance over nature. As their technology advanced, they began to wonder about alien civilizations around other stars. And then, from a distant, faint point of light in their sky, the first attack happened blowing a hole in their planet at relativistic speeds. It wasn't a meteor, asteroid, or comet from across interstellar space. It was humanity. Here on Earth, our dreams of interstellar travel have traditionally fallen into two categories. One, we go slowly with rocket propulsion on a journey taking many human lifetimes. Of course, Stanley breaking in the referencing generational ships. Um, two, we go quickly, assuming we make tremendous scientific advances to travel at relativistic or near-light speeds. Even with an uncrewed journey, these two options seem to be the only ones there are. Either we go as the Voyager spacecrafts go, taking many thousands of years to travel even a single light year, or we develop some new technology capable of accelerating a spacecraft to much, much higher speeds. The first option seems unacceptable. The second seems unrealistic. But something happened during the 2010s that has potentially changed, uh, that has potential to change the game. We've actually gone and made a huge technological advance that could impact a large amount of energy, uh, or impart a large amount of energy to a spacecraft over a reasonably long amount of time, allowing us, in principle, uh, to accelerate it to tremendous speeds. The big advance? In the science of laser physics, lasers now are both more powerful and more uh, collimated than they've ever been. And that means that if we put an enormous array of these high-powered lasers in space where they don't have to fight atmospheric dispersion, they could shine on a single target for a long time, imparting energy and momentum to it until it reached more than 10% of light speed. In 2015, a team of scientists wrote a white paper on how an advanced laser array could combine with the uh, with the solar sail concept to create a laser sail based spacecraft. In theory, we could use current technology and extraordinarily low, extraordinarily low mass uh, spaceships or what they call star chips, which I think is funny. Like I said, these things are like the size of a Altoids can to reach the nearest stars in a single human lifetime. The idea is simple. Shoot this high powered laser array at a highly reflective target, attach a very small and low mass microsatellite to the sail and accelerate it to the maximum speed possible. The ideas of solar sails are old and have been around since the time of Kepler. But to use a laser sail would be a real revolution. Uh, and they go on to the, you know, talking about the advantages of everything, you know, how this would work and the size of, you know, you'd, you'd get to, the star chips are saying, would get to around 20% the speed of light, around 67, or around 60,000 kilometers a second. Okay. Uh, which, you know, would allow them to get to Alpha Centauri, Tau Ceti, things like that. Um and it says, perhaps we'll send an array of star chips, star chips to the uh, same system, hoping to probe those these systems and gain more infra information. After all, the main science goal, as it's been proposed, is simply take data during arrival and transmit it back. But there are he three huge problems with this plan, and combined, they could be a tantam they could be tantamount to a declaration of interstellar war. The first problem is that interstellar space is full of particles, most of which move relatively slowly at a few hundred kilometers per second through the galaxy. Uh, when they strike the spacecraft, they'll blow holes into it, rendering it into cosmic Swiss cheese in short order. Okay, I want to address that first one quick. So the idea is, is that, look, this just isn't going to work. It, you know, like it's not like the Enterprise where it has a navigational deflector, which keeps all these little pieces of space dust and debris and whatever uh, from, you know, smashing into the ship and running a hole through, you know, the, the galley. OK, um, there are because, again, this is part of the advantage of having such small quote unquote ships. I like that idea of star chips. I think that's actually pretty clever. 
um, that you know the size of an Altoid can is there's layers of things we have right now that you could put over that that would probably effectively deflect any of that and, and it wouldn't just end up running right through it okay it's all a question of mass so i don't think that that's actually much of a problem and if we don't already have it right now i i think that that's something that could get licked uh but anyway let, let's go on to the next one the second again this is all saying there's going to be some kind of interstellar war i don't think the first one has anything to do with interstellar war that's just one of the reasons that breakthrough starshot might not work the second is that there's no reasonable deceleration mechanism this is true. Stanley breaking in. That's true. Uh, when these spacecrafts arrive at their destination, they'll still be moving at roughly the speeds they took off at. There's no stopping to take data or a gentle orbital insertion. Uh, they move at the speeds they move at. And the third is that aiming to the level of uh, aiming to the level of precision needed to pass close to but not collide with a target planet is virtually impossible. The cone of uncertainty for any trajectory will include the planet we're aiming for. What happens when we hit an inhabited planet? What will it look like? 60,000 kilometers a second is thousands of times faster than any spacecraft we've ever made to reenter our atmosphere. It's about a thousand times faster than the fastest meteors our solar system produces. It would just, it would take just a few thousandths of a second for this chip to pass through the entire atmosphere from a, from space to the surface at thousands of times lower speeds. After all, only the most advanced heat shields ever have survived reentry into our own atmosphere. But speed and energy are related in a way that makes the situation very bad. If you double the speed, it has four times the energy. Kinetic energy is proportional to speed squared, blah, blah, blah. Basically, what he's saying is, okay, and this is the, this is the entirety of his argument, okay, of how humanity is somehow going to start an interstellar war completely on accident. Okay, this is the point that, uh, that Ethan here is, is bringing up. He's saying... That because we can't really aim these things, and then, you know, it's breakthrough star shot is pretty much scatter shot, right? You have no idea. We could be pointing a, the laser propulsion right at a fucking planet. His point is, is that when we do that, there's the chance that we're actually sending one of these star chips, you know, these little, uh, uh, you know, Altoid can sized, uh, you, you know, probes, effectively, that we're sending that, and it could end up hitting, you know, pointing right at a planet and ramming itself right into the surface of a planet, causing, you know, some kind of crazy crater, you know, based upon, well, anyway, kinetic energy and all that. Okay, so <laughs> here's where that's bullshit, <laughs> right? We, as in the Earth, which makes us as humans a we, we on Earth, or the Earth encounters these kinds of things all the time. And do you know why we aren't always experiencing an extinction level event like the Alvarez hypothesis would say that the dinosaurs went through? It's because something that small, which many an asteroid slash meteor are, breaks up and it just you know dissipates in the atmosphere itself. The atmosphere burns it up, and it it doesn't have a chance of getting you know that 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 close to you know to, to hitting the surface because it's just the atmosphere just eats it. If it has an atmosphere that can actually, you know, uh, have create a, a situation like he was describing where it's very similar to Earth, okay, and where it allows for water and all these other things. I mean, there's really, and this is part of my point. This is part of why I say that there are, I think that it's very rare that there's actual sapient life because of what, at least what we know of as life being so, you know, you have to have such specific conditions for it to even dream of reaching, you know, uh, 
an amoeba, let alone a human. That I think it's very. I think the math the math changes dramatically from what the Drake equation says. Okay, but if it is something that is conducive to the kind of life that we have here and what may have allowed for the life that we have here, then. No, I'm sorry. The reasons given for why we would cause cause an interstellar war, um, it's going to have to have an atmosphere that would burn up a starship in less than a second in what he's talking about, the amount of time it would take for it to go through the atmosphere and hit the ground. It's not going to hit the ground. I, I mean, it, it just, you know, at the temperatures we're talking about, it just doesn't work that way. So, I mean, it's, it's this really like well thought out article, but then he doesn't consider that like this kind of thing can actually and probably does happen constantly. And these things are just constantly, you know, burned uh, things at that size. Again, we're talking the size of an Altoid can just burn up almost instantaneously within the atmosphere. It happens all the time. Uh, so, no, like, sorry, the, the interstellar war is not happening in that way. Now, could there be some like spacefaring civilization that it could end up running through that doesn't have an atmosphere or something like that at, at that speed. And then that could be become more of a problem. Yeah. Okay. Then, then sure that, you know, under those kind of auspices, I suppose that's possible if there's starships uh, that they're flying around or if they themselves are some kind of spacefaring intelligence that, you know, goes through like an organic starship, you know, goes through the stars and we end up running one of these things through their brains. I, I know that's not a comfortable thought. Uh, I mean, okay, then maybe, you know, but then how, how exactly are they going to really know where that came from in the first place anyway? So <laughs> it's just, I mean, I can't help but feel that this whole article was really just some kind of like native advertising for Breakthrough Starshot to get people talking about Breakthrough Starshot again, since it's been a year or more since anybody's really talked about it. You know, because you got to keep people interested, right? You got to let them know that it's still happening. You got to keep people still talking about it. You got to get investors. Maybe this is a way to hook in investors. I don't know. Uh, but this really feels like some kind of native advertising. But bottom line being, uh, no, it's horseshit. Like, like, there's no way that these starships are going to land on the surface of a planet like that. Like, that's not even their purpose. Their their purpose is, yeah, I mean, it's true. They have no deceleration mechanism, but they're just going to go on forever. And for as long as they can, just keep, you know, taking data and sending it back to back to Earth. That's the whole point. There you go. Could it end up, you know, burning up in some atmosphere? Oh, it's highly likely. Sure. Is What's the chances of it getting onto the surface of some planet with intelligent life on it? That is not likely. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's really, really not. It'd be understanding like types of life on a whole other level uh, for it to really do that. So, yeah, interesting, but based on the premise of it being an Earth-like planet, no, not 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 happening. Um, but, uh, you know, I suppose there's a lot of other wild possibilities. But then they're all possibilities that, you know, are, is it going to stop us from going to the stars and from doing this kind of research? No, I wouldn't let it stop us because we, we don't have evidence this sort of thing can exist. You know, I, I, I don't know that I, I would take action on that. Anyway, there is your uh, wild card for this week. I'll be right back with some more Woo, Sovereign Tech and we'll get into the climax. Hey, you heard about it at the top of the show. I have a whole new book out. Well, not whole new. If you signed up for the Sovereign Tech newsletter at zog.email, again, that's zog.email, uh, you would have read some of these stories in an earlier form. But this is the Sovereign Universe. You love the fictional aspects of Sovereign Tech, baby. This is your book, Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. You can find it on Amazon, and it's going to be in all other places very soon. But for right now, if you want to get it on your Kindle, get the ebook version, you get it on Amazon. You just type in Sovereign Universe, or there's a link in the show notes for this episode 
episode and you can get your hands on it. It's only $2.99. It's a bunch of short stories, some of which are exclusive to this book. They will only ever come out for this book. They will never come out on Patreon. They will never come out on in the Sovereign Tech newsletter. They will only be in this book. And boy, can I tell you, the ladies love these stories, okay? A pure hotness. You know I do erotic science fiction like no other. You want to get on this Sovereign Universe. You can go to ZOG.email to find the link for the book. You can go to Amazon and just type in Sovereign Universe, S-O-V-R-Y-N, or you can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Thank you in advance. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Go get it. Go get the book. Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. It's fucking awesome. The Climax. It is time for the climax. And you know, I've got something I kind of want to lament. Is that the word I want to use? Yeah. I was thinking about it last night. So let me let me set the stage just a little bit. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about this. Um, last night, I was... I had a pizza. Not a good thing for me to do. Okay. <laughs> but I had a pizza. And... Uh, you know, Stephanie and I were, were having dinner and everything, you know, and it, it was nice. And then, you know, we had some time after the fact. We got dinner done kind of early. Sometimes dinner ends up being really late for us. We generally only eat like one meal a day. We do kind of intermittent fasting and everything. Of course, if I'm eating pizza, what the hell is the point of intermittent fasting? But <laughs> regardless of that, uh, so late at night, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, all right, she she wanted to go and, and work on an audio book. And then I said, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I think I'll rock out a, some video games here. And so I powered my PS2, and I'm throwing in, uh, yes, a PlayStation 2, because there's that system still matters, especially when you put free McBoot on it, baby. Woo! Play anything on that damn thing. Um, anyway, I'm, and I put, in, I put in some games, and I'm playing them. And some of them, I don't know. Anyway, like, it got me thinking about things. Uh, my, a wave of nostalgia was coming over me. It was coming over me for a few different reasons, actually. It wasn't just because of, uh, just because of the video games. Like earlier in the day, Angry Video Game Nerd did a review of uh, of Surf Ninjas. And in this review, he doesn't do it as the Angry Video Game Nerd. He does it as James, you know, which is his real name. And, you know, has his other, his friends, they all come up and, and they go into this place that looks kind of like an old video rental store, kind of like a Blockbuster or something like that. You can find it on their YouTube channel. Uh, anyway, and, and they're doing these reviews... <laughs> You know, and Surf Ninjas, I mean, I, I could talk about that alone for, for a very long time, but that's that's a whole other story. But, you know, playing the PlayStation 2, seeing the old video rental days and everything, like, it really kind of struck me. I think I really miss those days. I miss going to the video rental store and, like, just shooting the shit with people there. Or even, you know, there's nothing quite like studying a film or a game or something because, you know, you'd rent video games as much as you'd rent uh, movies at a video rental place. And, you know, kind of holding the case in your hand. I hate to sound like this because I love MP3s and I love the fact that I can carry massive music collections with me anywhere I go at any given time and I don't have to carry CDs around. I, I really love that. But I think with movies and games, there's something a little bit different about it. You know, because it is kind of this, it's not a one and done experience, but it, it kind of can be. Um, 
I just I was I was feeling really nostalgic yesterday for that. And I was really missing like having the conversation. Hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Because let me tell you, Netflix's recommendations of what I should be watching based upon what I actually do watch on Netflix are fucking horrible. Okay, I mean, they're just horrible. And any recommendation I get on just about any site for anything is almost always terrible games, whatever. And I I just, I really miss getting that very personable touch and hearing things that they're not ineffable because the person can describe them, but the, the randomosity, the random things that some person can just tell you about a film that, you know, what they experienced within it, that could completely change the way that you experience the film. It just struck me just how much, how impersonal and how shitty, you know, algorithms are. And how shitty, in some ways, the internet can really be in presenting certain, uh, you know, content. The internet really, there was a time where it could give you community, right? Because it took effort to get on the internet in the 90s, and you knew you already had a kinship with a person that could figure it out. But now, since everybody's on it, there's no real community there. Now, it's just, you know, it's a cesspool. So, it really can't give you a genuine sense of community, in my opinion. Not in the same way that you used to get, honestly, whenever you'd go to, you know, the video store. When you'd go into the video rental place. Uh, A popular one around me was called Video to Roll. uh, And I used to talk to the guy that ran the... I talked to the owner, like, constantly. And he always had these great ideas. Or, you know, I mean, like, these great recommendations and everything. I mean, he was a real connoisseur. And you just, you know, without an actual human there, I don't think you can fucking get that. And the other thing I, I remember, I was thinking about, I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, yeah, and you used to take, like, it was such a great way. It was a thing to do. It got you off your fucking asses, but it was a great thing to do. You know, you, you get your best gal, right? And and you go, and, and you go to the, or hell, you, you go two gals, I don't know. And you go to the, you know, you go to the video rental place, and you're all looking around at the movies. All right, you pick one, you pick one, you pick one, you know, and I'll pick one. And and you got to, I don't know, there was, there was something, there was a great relationship exchange, that would happen in that way. Or you could all talk about what video game you wanted to play for the night and you'd rent it. I don't know. You'd rent smash TV or something. And, and, and <laughs> what a beautiful name, but, <laughs> but anyway, I was just realizing that, that fuck, I really miss that. Like that, that was a real, it was almost like going to the library. Like there are so many social actions that kind of independently developed out of the fact that our entertainment our media wasn't so central, like, like our high end media, I guess you could say, wasn't so centrally controlled as it is where only Netflix gets to distribute it. Only Amazon Prime gets to distribute it. Yeah, you can torrent some of this stuff, but that's another that's a whole other conversation. And the torrent community is dying. You, we, you know, we've talked about that for a few months now, um, you know, where, where there wasn't so much control and you could have like these these niche businesses like video rental places that could that could come into fruition or that could rent video games i mean you you can't rent video games anymore like that that's ridiculous you know i mean hell microsoft's giving them away for free if you have an xbox gold account right or you know you just download them now and everything but you lose the ability to really connect with other people you know at, at these places and and to build some community around it i think this is why the whole tabletop rpg and, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and, and, and all of those. I think that's why they are they are have become wildly more popular, which would be ironic because you'd say, why would people play a tabletop RPG when they can just, you know, play Neverwinter Nights on their PC or something? Right. Like, uh, you know, on their computer. Why would you why would you go through all the process of setting all that up and everything? Because it forces you to come together as humans it forces you to not be alone, to get off of your ass. You know, I, I mean, it, it really does. And I think that 
I think innately, a lot of people are starting to realize, hey, this isn't meeting my needs for connection. And and I worry about our, you know, part of the reason I worry about this, and you can see it online, I mean, it's, it's a painfully obvious, is that our abilities to communicate with each other and to empathize with each other, which is strongly done through communication, of course, uh, is is disappearing. It's, it's really disappearing. And, and I think as we continue to remove all of these avenues where we used to get together and have, because we are a social species, and, and have some kind of community over, you know, especially things that aren't so much politics uh, or things that, that aren't so much, you know, these different hot topics, even though I think it's good to communicate over, you know, to, to come together over those as well. I think we're really losing something. And certainly, I mean, one could argue like what happened with the ROM sites and everything. I mean, you know, the, the game companies got to love the fact that you're not going to be able to play their games 20 years from now unless they say so, you know, unless they resell it to you or whatever. I mean, and, and fuck, you know, a lot of these companies don't even save the, you know, the code for their games to where we could even play them later on, even if we had it like or, you know, even if uh, even if it, there wasn't a, a legal uh, a regulate a regulatory environment that didn't allow you to. Um yeah, I, th- I think we're really losing some of what it means to be human and some of what fulfills us within the human condition by by not having these things that have some permanence and by not having these you know places where everybody can kind of get together. And it's funny because, I you know, I used to hate I mean, I hated Blockbuster. I thought they were such assholes and everything. And now I wish there was a Blockbuster video down the street. I'd go there probably every fucking day. I really miss it. I miss that opportunity to connect with people. And who knows, who knows who you do. I mean, hell, I, I've had, I've had, you know, I've met women there that that night, you know, we'd end up having all kinds of fun and, you know, just, just over looking over movies and everything. It, it's, I mean, it's happening in a lot of places, comic book stores. I, you know, I know it's not necessarily unique to movies and video games, but I think we need to consider this is that, yeah, fine. If you want to digitize things, let's do it. But how can we still... How can we still keep that community? How can we still really get together in meat space in real life? I think we need to we really need to think about that. And I worry as as it seems as the perception exists that violence is increasing, whatever. I wonder if it's because we don't connect with each other anymore in ways that actually matter as in together in, you know, in person, in meat space, not online. Just a thought. It struck me last night while I was playing that game and I really wished Honestly, that a, a few other people were around, maybe, uh, you know, to where I, I wasn't alone playing it because, yeah, that was a thing, too. Everybody gathered around. Let's check out this new game and then everybody take turns. And, yeah, I think multiplayer doesn't solve that either. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not not a lot out here, folks. I, I just I just recognize something that was a really powerful feeling that is gone. And, and when I see so when I see certain other problems going on, I wonder if, if that thing were back if somehow it could improve matters. But anyway, maybe I need to do something with that. Well, there we go. That's it for this week's Sovereign Tech. Hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, whew, of course, become a patron if you like. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Get your hook up to thousands of hours of exclusive content there. And I will see all of you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed.
Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. 